What's up, Gumbo listeners? Demetrius here, dropping episode number 106 for you today. And I have Martez Reed, Director of Technical Marketing at Morpheus Data on. And Martez has spent the last seven years working with enterprise customers to develop automation solutions to accelerate their businesses. His background is in system administration and he has fully embraced all DevOps methodologies as well as the tool chains associated with the practice. So Gumbo listeners, Martez drops tons of nuggets around the management of disparate architectures, workloads, and the tools needed to bring them all together again. Details on protecting Kubernetes data and how to rise above bad data protection habits. So let's get right into this episode. Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, Martez. How are you today? I'm doing excellent. It is very, very, very awesome to have you on the show. And um, you and I normally record on, on the Puppet podcast. But today I, um, I have the pleasure of having you on Data Protection Gumbo. So I really appreciate you jumping on with me and sharing your, your insights. Now you're over at Morpheus Data, right? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So let's let's start off by, you know, giving the listeners, I guess, an understanding of, of what Morpheus Data is. Yeah. So if for me, Morpheus Data is a, an automation orchestration platform really focused around sort of the provisioning of workloads. Um, so kind of that broader category ends up being what is known as a CMP or a cloud management platform. So if we think about how do I provision resources in whether it's public cloud or private cloud in an automated fashion, let's say I need a virtual machine or an instance or some sort of resource, what I need a ideally some sort of portal or, or way to quickly provision that and then obviously be able to manage the life cycle of that. So that's that's really where we live mm -hmm. uh, from a from a core competency standpoint. Okay. So you you seem to be so you're in the cloud space. So cloud cloud management. You know that that's a really hot space right now and you know a lot of people are, are migrating workloads uh, over into the cloud and there are some people making a mess of their systems and not, you know, they're lifting and shifting and just, you know, not really being smart about the planning up front. And right now, you know, there's also a lot of talk around, you know, containers and some of the other things out there that, that people are talking about as well. Um, so what are your thoughts on the changing workload landscape with things around VMs and containers, Kubernetes and serverless, et cetera? Yeah, it's, for me, it's a, definitely a really interesting space uh, in terms of how we're we're seeing sort of that 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 shift. Obviously, we saw uh, for those that are uh, a little bit older, one might say, uh, how we progressed from what bare metal and people were racking and stacking servers, and and then it was uh, server virtualization. To now, we've got thousands and thousands of VMs stacked onto to a couple of boxes. And now, obviously, we've had the, the, the core concepts and constructs of containers and, and things like that. But obviously, we're, we're seeing the, the proliferation of containers. And, and even now, we're still starting to see more and more serverless. And, and really, how can I, I manipulate how the workload is being composed? And for me, it's, it's like, as I said, really interesting. The challenge becomes, how do I start to wrap my head around managing all of these different concepts and different constructs where 
um, service A might be fully composed of, of virtual machines and service B uh, is composed of containers and a microservice architecture. And I've got our, our, our corporate website is, is now uh, using all serverless. And it's certainly for me one of those scenarios of it's ideal to use the, the best tool, the best capability for the job. But the challenge then becomes who's managing all of these sort of disparate architectures and uh, workloads to say, like, is there a single tool where I can deploy virtual machines and containers and, and, and serverless applications? And ultimately, I think we're at sort of that, 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 that juncture where we might start to see, uh, for me, even the evolution of like cloud management platforms of how do I start to wrangle or get a sort of a unified view of, okay, what are my virtual machines in my environment? What are my containers and my Kubernetes clusters? And what are my serverless functions? And, and start to get a sense of how to, how to correlate all those things together. Mm. So that's, that's basically comprehensively and globally looking across <laughs> like all of the technology, all of the like pieces of the puzzle that you're running from a technology per, uh, perspective across your stack, having all of that in one place, one dashboard, point click, I can dive into like this one virtual machine and I can, I can keep going a level deeper until I get down to that lowest level of, of the abstraction to determine, hey, okay, wow, this is a container, but yet at the top, it's just an application that's running on a system, right? So, yeah, to me, that sounds a little bit like, you know, probably the ultimate goal is getting more around uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning and, you know, the automation of things and making things easier for users and administrators and engineers to kind of do their job and focus on more things. So let's let's hone in on on Kubernetes for for a brief moment. And what, what are your thoughts on protecting data for Kubernetes? Yeah, so this is a, a, a really interesting conversation in terms of, for a lot of people philosophically, the idea for most people, especially early in kind of the sort of containerization and, and Kubernetes sort mm -hmm. of thought pattern was Kubernetes is ideally suited for ephemeral workloads. The idea that I can spin up a container, um, have it serve some sort of business function, and then once it's done, it gets thrown away and and along comes the next one. Um, it, it's great yeah. for just the, the fact of security, the idea that there's not a whole lot to protect per se, quote unquote, um, because the, the container is going to be gone in a matter of moments. And people love that idea yeah. also for just management that, okay, it's, if there's a problem with it, you just throw it away and, and along comes a new one. Um, and, and kind of, we've seen that, that shift obviously in the, the last handful of years of, moving towards Kubernetes with the idea of stateful workloads of my databases and, and, and things like that to where now I need to, to be concerned about, well, before I was only running stateless applications where I could throw it away and I didn't care about it. Now the need for me to have to run a stateful application becomes a concern of, well, how do I start to handle the things we've traditionally done with data protection? Um, and, and the idea that is that for some, is, is Kubernetes really the place where I should be running my stateful applications like a database? Um, yeah. and, and how do I start to, to rationalize that? But if we decide as sort of an industry and, and kind of that's where it's been that stateful workloads will be run on Kubernetes, then how do we protect those? 
And it, it's really interesting to kind of see the idea of where do you start to have that divide between everything as code with Kubernetes of standing up my clusters and deploying my applications and and then me still needing to somehow maintain the state feels in a lot of ways almost like sort of this this dichotomy of patterns to where I, I, I don't care about stateful configuration and things like that because I've got all this code, but yet I still need to protect this data that is being generated by the Kubernetes cluster and the workloads in it uh, from a protection standpoint. And so for me, obviously, there's a, a number of uh, products and, and open source projects that have sort of blossomed around the, the need to protect data in the Kubernetes cluster. Um, and, and for me, it's definitely interesting to see the the fact of obviously Veeam's uh, acquisition of Kostin was a, a very interesting one to to see sort of quote unquote that traditional data protection player to say, you know what, there's obviously a need for an expansion of the portfolio to include data protection for Kubernetes. And that's where you start to get into even that more of that challenge of how do I, how do I pick the right platform or the right tool for the right job? Because obviously you've got the sort of the more traditional um, data protection players that have obviously done bare metal and VMs and, and all those things. And oftentimes you have those startups that develop sort of that net new um, capability and, and you have sort of that divergence between the two where it's, as an organization, I, I know I need my existing VMs and, and my bare metal servers protected, but I also need some, some Kubernetes data protection. Is it, once again, kind of getting into that, we talked about the, the number of different workloads. Do I have a, a product or a tool for my VMs and my bare metal, a different product for Kubernetes for data protection, a different product for my, my serverless data protection? And then you kind of start to get in, once again, this, this tool sprawl or platform sprawl of like, I've got so many different things, but the challenge becomes maybe this single product is very good at these two things, but not good at this great great at this other thing. And, and the rationalization becomes very challenging. Um, but I, I think for me, ultimately, I, the data protection for Kubernetes is, is one of the really interesting things I've seen. And, and I'm interested to see it continually evolve, not so much from the, the product or the capability standpoint, but what we as an industry decide from sort of an implementation patterns perspective mm -hmm. to say, okay, this is the way we the industry has sort of settled on some from, standards maybe uh, yeah best practice yeah. of how we how we do data protection in kubernetes um because i mean at the end of the day in a lot of ways it's how can i get the data from from where it's at to somewhere uh, a copy of it in a much safer place is kind of the just the, the core fundamental challenge it's how do we go about doing that yeah that's that's the the question of the hour right is to try to figure out you know wh where is everything sitting you know how many how many people do you need to manage you know all of your applications and you have all these different you know cloud platforms all these different types of technologies but there's one thing that that holds true in the environment is that each one of them has a, their own set of data right and so if if you have someone or some solution that can wrap wrap its arms around you know, all of the data to know that it's classified correctly, that it's, you know, from a governor's perspective, from an audit perspective, and just overall from knowing, okay, these are the things that we have to comply with. It's a lot. It's a lot to really manage, right? You have to be kind of a um, an expert 
at multiple things nowadays in order to truly, truly, truly be able to run your particular set of uh, solutions that you're working with, and, and particularly from a data protection perspective. Now, I, I want to really like zero in on you know some of the higher level positions like CIOs and, and CTOs because we're not quite out of the pandemic. You know, even though the vaccination, um, you know, there's different vac- vaccines uh, now. People are starting to get more and more vaccinated. And, you know, what advice do you have for, you know, CIOs, you know, any C-level executive right now as it pertains to protecting their data? And this is more of a general question. You know, when you think of data protection and protecting data and talking to a C-level executive, what what conversation or what would you highlight to them? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing for me becomes, like most things, just visibility. And we kind mm-hmm. of talked about that a little bit. Okay. It's, I think it's it's simple to say, well, yeah, I, I have a grasp or an idea of what data my organization is creating and is maintaining and storing. Um, but the challenge literally becomes we're, we're, we're in the, the realm of we're talking petabytes of, of data for for some organizations um, and, and, and even larger uh, amounts of data. And we start yeah. to talk about it's it's sort of the scenario where. Oftentimes, the impact of a single piece of data being lost or being stolen sort of is so much greater than the the amount of effort that is required for us to protect that massive amount of data. Um, You imagine a scenario where it's, let's say there's uh, 100 million records of something, but you lose lose 1,000 of those records or 1,000 of those records are stolen. It was great that you were protecting the million, but the challenge becomes once I, I lose that thousand to whether it's either, either theft or, or just lost, um, it's it's potentially very damaging uh, ramifications. And so that kind of goes to that adage of like the, the hacker where um, even on the security side where you have to be effectively right all the time, but the hacker only has to be right one one time. And and they've they've sort of swung that pendulum of control and power, and so for me, like I said, it becomes that that visibility. What what data do I have? Kind of, and it, and it becomes much harder. Obviously, that that's where the CIO has to, to do a good job of delegating. But is what's the, what's things like data flow, and, and where is it being guarded, and and what are the various pieces that are being used to corral my data? Because at the end of the day, like I've, I've got this massive treasure trove of data. And unfortunately, like you look at the number of the, the scenarios of breaches and things like that, or data exfiltration is data that has often been sitting around for quite some time. And, and what is my, my, my life cycle management policy of data that says, okay, should, should we be deleting this data after X period of time or... Obviously, if it needs to be stored for regulatory purposes, make sure it's properly being stored. And it's just really just trying to get your head wrapped around the massive amount of data and how it's being managed. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I think that is a, com- a, a very important point is, number one, that, you know, these the C-level executives, they are responsible. So if there is any type of security event, then it's it's a serious thing, right? Jail time, fines reputation, you know, it's, it's a, it's big business right now. Mm -hmm. 
And just overall around, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, developing best practices, et cetera. But specifically, I want to ask you, why do you think companies forget best practices <laughs> and, and, and develop bad data protection habits, when, especially when they move to the public cloud? Yeah, so it's, it's a really interesting question. And for me, um, being very sort of uh, DevOps infrastructure focused, it's, it's not just data protection, especially when mm. you're moving to the public cloud. It's a lot of um, what people would term as, as legacy thought patterns and constructs that they, like they, that. They, they kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, where it's things like we were starting to really rationalize, um, does do things like change management apply in the public cloud? Um, some of these, these fundamental things that we've, we've kind of just went with, because I mean, at the end of the day, having a record of, of what's changed uh, from from an intention standpoint, yeah. not so much an audit trail, but like what was my intent to do? Having those things in place is, is still very much valuable in the public cloud. But in a, a lot of, for me, I would say sort of those those initial cloud journeys, those DevOps transformations, it's unfortunately in a lot of ways, how can we move as fast as possible? And usually what happens is things that can be viewed as a, an impediment or, or a a speed bump are said, you know what, we're not going to do that. We're, we're moving the public cloud. We're doing the DevOps thing and we don't want anything slowing us down. So it is literally, how can I get as fast as possible to some sort of MVP mm -hmm. status of my service or application? And I will figure out things like hardened security and data protection sort of afterwards. And, and unfortunately it, it, it becomes very much a problem because in a lot of ways, while organizations are looking to adopt DevSecOps and things like that of, of shifting security left and, and how we handle things, it usually what happens is the case, uh, it's the traditional case of you, you bolt it on afterwards and when you, when you go, you don't intentionally go, go with the mindset of like, I'm going to do this afterwards. But in terms of what is traditionally viewed as business value, it's things like security and data protection are going to get bolted on on last if they do get bolted on, because in a, in a lot of scenarios, it's not viewed as a driver of business value. Um, and so for me, one of the, the, the biggest problems simply becomes, in, in a lot of ways, the, the challenge of trying to ensure that I'm doing data protection in the cloud, but it's also in a lot of ways, do I have a solution, an easy solution in place to facilitate that? If you're talking about an organization's beginning in their cloud journey, they've got to have that conversation of, well, how are we going to do data protection in the public cloud? Do we have the existing platform to do it? Um, do we need to, to bring in another platform? Is it um, an, an additional feature of the existing platform that we have to sort of ramp ourselves up on? Um, it's, it's all those conversations. And usually what happens is kind of, as I said, get as quickly as possible to business value and sort of worry about the other things later. 
And now a short word from one of our sponsors. The only way to know your database backups are working correctly is to restore every backup you produce. But that's been too difficult for backup admins and MSPs until now. Verified Backups creates full backups of your SQL databases, encrypts them with government-level encryption, and then transmits them through a secure portal to our cloud environment. Our automated processes ensure every daily backup is restorable by actually restoring it. Then we check date-sensitive data to ensure the backed up data is current. A confirmation email lets you know that everything worked. You have a secure encrypted cloud copy of your database in case of any disaster. Please visit verifiedbackups.com for more details. And before the break, Martez, you were discussing why companies forget best practices and develop bad data protection habits when they move to the public cloud. Now let's let's move on to the next question. Yeah, that's that's a big one. Also, you know, something else just, you know, you mentioned some of the other players that, you know, they they were fortunate enough to kick off, you know, the entire uh platform play around backing up data, protecting data and and here we are today with, you know, a lot of software as a service and you know, things are moving a lot quicker and faster and now, you know, we have products that can get that can spin up literally in a matter of weeks. I think we're, we're we're getting into more of a siloed space because everyone's trying to get their hands on some of these billions of dollars because it's a billion dollar industry around protecting data. And, you know, I, I want to know from your perspective, why is it important, you know, to use a cloud native approach? OK, and taking advantage of microservices, as we mentioned earlier, when you're when you're talking about, you know, data protection. Yeah, so I mean, it's and so this is for for me is one of those very interesting conversations. Is oftentimes very much really from the the vendor perspective of I'm I provide backup or data protection capabilities and my platform is cloud native, or I it's sort of insert vendor of choice and you have that conversation of well is is their platform running on cloud native or is it running on what we traditionally term as sort of that that legacy monolith or however their architecture is um for me most of the time i don't concern myself with how the vendor decides they want to run the application or the service i mean at the end of the day as long as the service meets my particular demands because if you look at a scenario where the, the vendor says they're cloud native, but I have a demand where I want, let's say, an, an 50 more terabytes in sort of a moment's notice uh, of capacity, whether their, their platform is cloud native or not, I, I really don't care. I just want that additional capacity. Now, from a, a vendor architectural perspective, there is the, the value of having uh, your application in a microservice architecture to be able to roll out updates faster um, and from a cloud native perspective, be able to leverage the scale and elasticity of public cloud. But at the end of the day, if the, the provider was running their own data centers or whatever it might be, uh, yeah. and you look at like a box who, who moved off of AWS and back into the, their own data center um, for their, their storage reasons, is as long as you're providing the service um, as a customer that I need, a lot of times I really don't care whether you're you're running it public cloud, whether you're running it on-prem in your own data centers or um, 
other than obviously from a security perspective, I, I I want those things, but you can do those whether it's on-prem or a public cloud or it's cloud native or it's this giant monolith. Uh, if I never have an issue with you, you delivering the service that I expect, um, it's really up to you to decide how best you can fulfill my desire uh, or my demands or need as a customer. Okay. Yeah. And let, let's just loop all of this under that, that umbrella term of digital transformation, right? It's like, <laughs> oh, here's that word again, digital transformation. It sucks. I don't like it. But however, we, we are moving more and more and more into automation, into AI, ML, and like it or not, you know, even, you know, lawn care industries are using, you know, automated platforms to do certain things. And man, it was a company that I can't remember the name of it. And they were offering investors, like if you wanted to invest $5 in this automated company, I think they had a, it was like a, a lawnmower that was running on an automated platform where you just program it and it'll go and you stand behind it and it'll, it'll cut the grass. I can't really think of the exact examples, but mm. and when when I find it, I'll I'll send it to you. But it was really interesting. I almost and you know put put maybe fifty bucks into it, <laughs> but it's a little <laughs> risky. But back to digital transformation. Uh, what what's your definition of, of digital transformation, and how do you view the data protection industry from the lens of data or digital transformation in twenty twenty one? Yeah, for me, I I would sort of broadly defined digital transformation really from from the perspective of, of what we mean from an IT perspective. Obviously, in, in a lot of ways, it can mean different things for the business. Um, but really, it's, for me, really honing in on how technology can help drive the business forward. Um, so whether it is sort of those deeply technical aspects like um, automation and orchestration and, and things like that. But at the end of the day, it could be, let's revamp the website to, to better fulfill customers' workflow in terms of how they interface with our organization. It could be kind of all the way sort of to the extreme of AI and ML with IoT and sort of insert all your buzzwords of choice with some, more, some blockchain. Um, but really, it's focused in on how does that help move the business forward in terms of what it's doing. And obviously, we're seeing that across various industries, uh, even as you mentioned with the, the lawnmower and we're seeing in agriculture and healthcare and uh, manufacturing, looking to, to really harness the, the capabilities offered by technology, um, especially with like containerization and people talk about Kubernetes at the edge and things like that, of how do I harness that, that, that capability to make better business decisions about things like when to order, when to replace parts, um, when to engage customers as part of the process. Um, so it's really all a collection of all these things of how I help with that process. And for me, when we start talking about data protection, it's really going to be interesting for me as we start to see uh, sort of a decentralization and even a centralization uh, of where data is generated, where I need to protect that data. Um, because I mean, especially as we start to talk about um, data at the edge, um, it being sent back to central locations and you having to, to really develop that sort of cohesive strategy of how I'm going to handle data. Um, most oftentimes people talk about uh, 
from a security standpoint, the the perimeter is no longer existent. And for me, that 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 same sort of paradigm shift applies to data protection, where kind of traditionally the oftentimes the data has been housed in in the data center. Well, where where's the data center? Well, the data center could be an edge location, it could be public cloud, it could be a SaaS application, it could be sort of anywhere uh, that we have to to harness that data that we've got and, and make sure we have uh, effectively a, a copy of that data for, for protection purposes. And so that's where it starts to get really interesting on sort of the ramifications of digital transformation on data protection. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah, that, I, I like that. And let's let's go ahead and, and, and tie a bow on, on this episode. And, you know, we didn't talk much about, you know, one thing I think is probably your, your favorite conversation is around, you know, automation and APIs and, and all of that. Um, you, you've done really well in that in that area. So what what role does does APIs play in the data management and, and analytics space from 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 Martez's crystal ball? <laughs> Uh, so for me, it's so we, we've talked a lot about things like sprawl and and visibility and trying to get an understanding of what's going on. And for me, the the, the native interface or sort of that connective tissue is those APIs of if I've got sort of all these disparate platforms and tools and capabilities, how can I tie all those together? It's it's an interface interface layer of the API if I have the ability to to reach out to all these different platforms and components and capabilities, I can then start to aggregate that data in terms of, okay, where's where's my data live? Well, where is it being accessed the most? Um, has it been backed up in sort of the threshold that I need around, let's say it's every day, it's every seven days. Um, and then how do I start to be able to tie that into um, sort of my automated provisioning. And so we talked about the fact that um, a lot of times there are sort of bad practices or, or let, let's say best practices that aren't fully adopted in public cloud. Well, how do I do that? Mm-hmm. The sort of the, the DevOps team and the sort of the, 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 the edict is to, to move sort of as fast as possible. Well, automation is the, the great tool that enables me for, from a governance perspective to say, you know what, I've got these tier one uh, or tier two workloads that need to be protected. Let me tie in some automation to the, the various APIs, making sure that every single time those workloads are provisioned, mm-hmm. that they are assigned the appropriate SLAs from a data protection standpoint, yeah. um, a- as well as all the, the various aspects that go into the sort of the full lifecycle management. Um, and so for me, that that's where... The, the two marry very well together is being able to get that that visibility as well as the integration from from a data protection standpoint. Okay, great. Well, cl- close us out with with some advice. So let let's say there's a data management engineer administrator, whether it's a backup backup person, storage, cloud, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, they're they're trying to re-enter the workforce. Let's say they've been laid off. Um, and they're looking for a job right now, which there's, you know, a lot of a, a lot of activity happening right now um, on the technology space uh, on, on that front. What what advice would you give to someone that's trying to break off into data management, data analytics, and you know, a little bit of automation? Sprinkle some automation in there. Sprinkle some storage in there. Sprinkle 
um, let's say artificial intelligence, machine learning, just, you know, the entire smorgasbord of, of technology, you know, what advice would you give to that person right now as far as accelerating their, their job hunt? Yeah. Um, I mean, from, for me, from a, a skill standpoint, kind of one of the things that I'm sure most people that have, have been lumped into quote unquote, the, the legacy administrator category, um, here is learn the code, learn the code, learn the code. Um, I would say, yes, that's a valuable skill. But for me, it's oftentimes there are existing years and years uh, of domain expertise Mm -hmm. that it's if you sort of change the lens on that that code aspect, it's how can I unlock that via automation? And so I've got years of experience uh, of working with um, data protection and, and storage and things like that. So how can I work with um, position myself to be able to work with DevOps teams and, and infrastructure teams that are, are moving towards full-on automation um, to be able to, sh- to highlight my expertise, but also show that, hey, kind of as we talked about with public cloud, yeah, you're probably not doing data protection for your public cloud right, but we can do it correctly and also get the win from an automation perspective. So, I mean, the, the, whether it's things like um, in a Terraform integrations with um, data protection platforms, or it's it's me developing some some Python scripts or some shell scripts um, to be able to showcase, hey, we can integrate this quickly into what you're doing from a provisioning uh, perspective. And every single time, best practice from a, a, a an expertise standpoint. And so really that's that's all AI intends to do is how can I mimic effectively the the best practices and years and years of experience as as an administrator that you've developed and and just do it much faster. And so for me, automation allows us to, to get much closer to what AI intends to do because we're really unlocking what the administrator with years of domain experience knows and just being able to do that in a a repeatable, faster, automated fashion. Well said, I think that's great advice. And just closing us out, do you have social media handles that that you wanna share with some of the listeners if they they would like to reach out to you? Yeah, so um, I'm on Twitter, you can find me at Green Reed Tech on Twitter. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn, Martez Reed. Great places there to find me at. Well, Martez, I, I always leave the, the conversation feeling a little bit smarter, maybe a lot smarter. Uh, just depends on what we're talking about. So I, I really appreciate you appearing on Data Protection Gumbo, and it's definitely been a pleasure. So thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Just search Backup and Recovery Professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week.